Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. All right, well, let's continue on in our study here this morning. Uh, We're going to continue our study in Romans. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 7. If you need a Bible, there's extra there on the back table. Uh, As we've been making our way through Romans thus far, we have really from the beginning been confronted with the topic of sin. In fact, there are some of you that are probably thinking, man, we just keep talking about sin. We keep dealing with uh, sin, and, and this is really what the Apostle Paul is addressing. By the Spirit, he has provided us such a thorough understanding of the effects of sin and our need for salvation. Calvary pastor John Corson, in his study of Romans, reminds us of the following summary. He says, in chapter 1, we considered the perversity of sin. In chapters 2 through the middle of chapter 3, the pervasiveness of sin. And from the middle of chapter 3 to the middle of chapter 5, the penalty of sin. And then as we make our way into chapter 6, we see the end of the power of sin. And now as we come to chapter 7, we come to the preoccupation with sin. You see, sin has wrought tremendous effects on this world and on each of us. And it serves to be what compels us to Christ. What, what, what is our need for Christ is the effects of sin in our lives. This past week, as we considered the second half of Romans chapter 6, we looked at the power of sin. That is the, the end of the power of sin, the breaking of the power of sin. And that through our identifying with Christ in His death and resurrection, that sin no longer has dominion. Yet, this does not simply mean freedom to do whatever we want and to abuse God's grace, though often that is what happens. Rather, we have gone, as as Paul gives us the analogy, from being slaves to sin to now being slaves of righteousness, servants of the living God. We're reminded that whether we realize it or not, we are slaves to something. Whether sin leading to death, or righteousness in Christ, leading to life. So, we praise God as believers that we have been delivered, that we have been set free. Yet, if we're honest, I think we often find that we are pretty good at bringing ourselves back into bondage again to various things. That even though we have been freed from the law, and we have this liberty in Christ, This ability now to say no to sin, the draw to it still seems to be there, as Paul will put it in Romans 7.23. It's warring within our members. We feel this tension between the Spirit and the things of the flesh. So Paul in chapter 7 seeks to make clear once again what has happened regarding the law and sin. How it affects us and how it affected him even personally. And once again he will point us back to Christ as the source of deliverance for all. Continuing his thought from chapter 6, Paul writes this in verse 1, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. If you would, just pray with me once more. Father, we, as we open your word, as we consider it here, Lord, we ask that by your Spirit you give us understanding such, Lord, that we could apply it to our lives, 
We don't want to leave the same, Lord. We want to leave different. We want to have had an encounter with you. Lord, we know that your spirit is moving in our midst. Teach us now, Lord. Challenge us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, 1966, a band by the name of the Bobby Fuller Four came out with a song called I Fought the Law and the Law Won. Some of you are dating yourselves there. While the song was certainly catchy, the lyrics themselves were not overly complex. It was a few mentions of different laws that this young singer would break, which was always followed up with the chorus, I fought the law and the law won. And generally, this is people's experience. The law tends to prevail, no matter how we fight against it. And Paul, writing to those who have an understanding of the law, seems to adopt this same view. Yet, if you've been paying attention throughout our study of Romans, if you're familiar at all with Romans 6, you would ask the question, have we not been delivered from the law? And the answer would be yes. So Paul again here seeks to remind us how it is exactly that one is freed or delivered. Because the fact is, fighting against it in our own strength and power will never lead to victory. So we must have a right understanding of how it is that we are freed from the law if we want to walk in victory. And so Paul, using now a marriage analogy, seeks to bring us further understanding. Verse 2 and following, For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. You see, in the case of husband and wife, the law was pretty secure. While a man could seek a certificate of divorce, there was no other way out of this binding agreement for a woman other than death. Death was the only thing that could overcome the law. And perhaps that sounds a little depressing, but it gives us a great picture of our freedom from the law of God and what has been accomplished. As Paul writes, verse 4, Therefore, connecting now these thoughts, therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. You see, following a similar pattern as chapter 6, we see that because of our identifying with Christ, we have now died to the law. In His death and resurrection, we have joined. And so Paul writes elsewhere in Galatians, in chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, For I, through the law, died to the law. But lest you say in, in the midst of this marriage analogy, well then... I'll just go ahead and remain single now. Remember, you are always in relation to something. Paul has proven that point. Whether sin once again leading to death or righteousness to life, we are slaves to something. We are in relation to something. So as Paul continues in Galatians 2.20, For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. You could translate it so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
and gave himself for me. You see, having died to the law, Scripture here says you are free to marry another. Who might that be? Paul says him who was raised from the dead. It's Jesus. And this time, rest assured, it will be a far better relationship. Verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now, these wonderful words that we see so often in Scripture that bring us a wonderful contrast. Verse 6, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Here Paul is contrasting who we once were with who we are now. And consider these two things, the newness of the Spirit or the oldness of the letter. Which one sounds better? Oftentimes the newness of the Spirit sounds much more appealing than the oldness of the letter. And that should be the case. This is our new relationship in Christ. The newness of the Spirit. The fact is, as believers, we are meant, I shouldn't even say as believers, as people created in the image of God, we are meant to live in the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. But oftentimes people wonder, well, what does that mean exactly? Well, it means many things that can be searched out through the Scriptures, but foundationally, our relationship with the Holy Spirit is as follows. The Holy Spirit, He is with you, drawing you unto salvation. Before you had even surrendered your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit was with you, drawing you unto repentance, convicting you of sin, revealing your need for a Savior. He is then, the Holy Spirit, when you are saved, in you. He seals you. He takes up residence in you and says, in effect, this person is now saved. They are part of the kingdom of God. And this Holy Spirit, He comes upon you. He empowers you. He equips you for the life that you will live in Christ and for Christ. We are to be led by the Holy Spirit, sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And all of this becomes then a relationship. It becomes a get situation. Not a have to, but a get to, a privilege. We are now free, Paul is saying, to serve God. Free to serve God. To no longer do things the old way. What Paul contrasts so often, whether it's in Romans or other letters that he writes, is the way that we were versus how we should be now. Different. Changed. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, He says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. How often we convince ourselves of all the wisdom that we've gained that is rooted in an understanding of this world. But the things of this world and the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. As we walk in the Spirit, it should be the case that our lives look different. And that even people who don't know Christ would look at us and say, in some respects, they're weird. The the decisions that they make, that doesn't make sense to me. There should be aspects of our life that that is very counterintuitive to those who are in the world. In Christ, in the newness of the Spirit, we operate differently. Further, we do not operate according to rules and regulation, though some some view the Word of God this way. 
But you see, legalism, and this is an important thing for especially parents to understand as we were raising children up in the first service, we had the chance to do a, a, a baby dedication, a wonderful thing. It was Chandler and Amber Whiteside. So if you guys uh, know Chandler and Amber, make sure you encourage them as they made the decision today to, to dedicate their youngest to the Lord. But that's what it's about, is making sure that we as parents make an effort to say we want our children to see what a relationship with Christ looks like, such that when they have the opportunity to choose, they would say, yes, this is a God I know, am I familiar with, I've seen my parents worship, and their life has been filled with joy, they've been free to serve, not bound by legalism, because legalism without relationship leads to rebellion. Rest assured, every time we're in a relationship and, and, and we see now what living differently in the Spirit is like, and it should be a joy. This is what is missing amongst so many who profess Christ. Many profess Him in the oldness of the letter. They say, well, I, I do all of these things. With the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, who said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he goes through a couple of commandments. Well, these I've kept since my youth. He, he had this sense of, I, I, I'm righteous. I've done all these things. I've checked all the boxes. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And he went away sad. He was missing the boat. He he missed the the big picture. We, We often profess Christ from the sense of our works and our efforts. But the one who truly knows him says, there's nothing. I'm worth nothing. I do nothing. I can do nothing. It's all him. He's done it all. And I just get to live for him. And his spirit now leads me day after day. And I talk to God and He directs me, directs my paths. He tells me where to go and, and when I see somebody, what to say. And, and as you start to talk, to, about, talk in this way, some people go, man, this, is, this guy's weird. He talks to God. God talks back. He says he doesn't know where he's going today. He's just going to wait for God to tell him. This is messed up. But the fact of the matter is, Paul also says, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. And so there should be aspects of our life that cause people to go, whoa, this is different. You see, the newness of the Spirit has become the life of the believer. Jesus himself, when he went to depart, the disciples, no doubt, so sad, thinking, you can't go. We just got you back. We thought you were dead. You're alive again and you're here. But Jesus said, no, I need to go. And I paraphrase, but why do I need to go? So that the helper can come. The Holy Spirit. Now Paul's going to pick this idea back up again in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. This idea of the newness of the Spirit and life in the Spirit. For now, he's going to depart for, for the rest of the chapter to deal with the question that likely comes from the idea of the oldness of the letter and being freed from the law. Verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. You see, Paul recognizes that it could be construed from his argument thus far that the law itself is bad. So he wants to correct this thinking preemptively, and he writes, On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Verse 12, therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. 
what is Paul saying here? Sometimes we encounter these passages with Paul where ultimately it's, it, it, he's making this logical argument, but it can be tough to wrap our minds around it. I'll do my best to provide another analogy. If you're driving down the highway, how do you know whether or not you are speeding? Well, the speed limit sign will tell you, right? Once you see it, you know. <laughs> you're going 75, you see a sign that says 65, And you think, man, I can't stand Ohio. (laughs) Some of you get it, right? Yeah. Listen, when you're making trips to Michigan to go back to our hometown, Ohio is a continent. (laughs) And it's forever stuck at 65. And their state troopers are everywhere. But here's the thing. No matter how right you think you are, that the speed limit should be 70 or 75 or 80, you know. And now if you get pulled over, the officer says, do you know why I pulled you over? And you go, (laughs) I'm not sure, you know. Do you know how fast you were going? I I think I was kind of keeping up with traffic. (laughs) And they say, do you know what the speed limit is? And you go, because you know you're busted, right? You're busted. You have no excuse. Now, was the law itself bad? You could argue it was the wrong speed limit to be set. (laughs) But you know that it was designed to keep you safe. And now you've even learned how much your flesh struggles against it. Unless you law-abiding citizens think of yourself as holier than thou, you might even start to realize how hard it is to then keep that law. Right, especially as you take off again, you go, now I, I better set my cruise control at 64. And it feels like you're not even moving. <laughs> but I'm going to keep it, I'm going to keep it, I'm going to keep it. And eventually you're like, forget it, we're going. You see, the knowledge of this has suddenly changed everything. Further, here Paul says, sin took opportunity by the commandment. What does that mean? You see, right over here, there's this light switch by the door. Many of you perhaps have never even noticed that it's there. If I here after service take a big red sign and I put it right over the top of that that says, do not touch this light switch. Hmm. So many of you are now just staring at it. (laughs) You can't pull your eyes away from it. You you, you just have to, you're, you're, you're killing yourself thinking, what will happen if I touch it? And if you're David, you're sitting right there and you're just thinking, yeah, i got to do it, right? We laugh at this because we know this is our nature, right? What you might have never paid attention to before, now you have become preoccupied with it. So we then say, well, maybe ignorance would just be bliss, wouldn't it? Forget the stupid law. Let's not even tell anybody about it. It just causes so much trouble. Verse 13, has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. You see, our way of thinking would suggest, yes, the law is bad, but the law is good. In fact, it's God's law, so it's it's perfect. Psalm 19.7 says as much, that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Without the law, we would not know sin. If we don't know sin, we don't know our need for God's grace and our need for a Savior. And so God's law then, in effect, is grace. You see, when we begin to look at His law in that way, we can begin to view it differently. 
that God's law is grace towards us, helping to reveal our sin. Yet as Paul now describes, we often find that old habits die hard. Verse 14 through 20. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. We can begin to grasp some of the emotion there on Paul's part, maybe even relate to it ourselves. And, and these verses and on through verse 23 are very much debated. Whether these are verses describing Paul or any believer for that matter before salvation, or is this the experience of the believer struggling with sin? Strong arguments can be made for both. And in some respects, I could say that it would apply to both. But ultimately, I would lean toward this being the experience of the born-again believer. Why, you might ask? Well, first off, I suspect that many of you being Christians can relate to what I just read. I think the evidence of that in our own life suggests to us that this is something that we struggle with. In this in-between time, between cro the cross and salvation and, and our eventual glorification and the sanctification that needs to happen between now and then, there is truly a warring often within our members. But further here, as we look at this, Paul has been writing in the first person, present tense. And, and furthermore, we see that he speaks of his desire for what is right, his longing to do what is right, even an appreciation, a delighting in the law of God. And for me, I don't know that an unbeliever has such a desire. But if we adopt that view, then we certainly ask ourselves, well, what of our deliverance that has come through our union with Christ? Verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. You see, certainly this does not seem like one who is walking in victory, who has said no to sin, who is freed from the law. So what of this? Well, Paul, in writing to the Galatian church, was writing, in fact, to a group of believers. Now, certainly there may have been a mixed group there. Not all of them were necessarily born-again, sanctified believers, but he calls them brethren. He appeals to the truth that had been shared with them, that they had believed upon, and yet he still writes in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. You see, Christian, I think sometimes we read chapter 6 and we say, praise God, I'm delivered from the power of sin. And we are, and so we should praise God. Yet many find themselves in pits of despair and depression because they find that maybe victory isn't looking like how they thought it would. And our experience ends up a lot like what Paul has described. I know that in me, 
nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I don't know. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Then I would translate it differently to simply say, I want to do the right thing, and so often I just screw it up. Anybody relate to that? And often it's that experience that brings us to the very declaration that Paul makes at the beginning of verse 24. A wretched man that I am. Literally translated, this means miserable and distressed condition. And so often I think we find ourselves, I can find myself in a miserable and distressed condition saying, God, I wanted to do the right thing. And I failed. And to be in that place, and certainly for the enemy then to to take opportunity to speak lies of condemnation into your life, saying, you you call yourself a Christian? Look Look at this foolishness in your life. You see, for us to be in that place, that's not what God has for you, Christian. But may I submit to you this morning that this is where we find ourselves when we, who have been freed from the law, freed to marry Christ, and live in the newness of the Spirit when we return to legalism as a means of our salvation and sanctification. Now you may ask, do you mean to say that if I'm feeling this way, this sense of condemnation, then I'm being legalistic? And I would say, yes. Chances are, yes. I would say you are working at this in the strength of your own flesh. You're fighting the law, and the law is winning. Friends, we are so good at bringing ourselves back into bondage, and sometimes it's oh so subtle. Listen, let's look at a basic principle in the Christian life. Let's say you're a person who said, I want to grow in Christ, and so you know that growing in Christ means that you need to read His Word more. So what do you do? You make a plan, and you download a calendar, and you create a schedule, and you start to make a routine, and all of a sudden you've got ritual and you've got bondage. And as you start to grow weary in it, you think, man, I missed a day. I better get that caught up. Oh man, I missed a day. And then all of a sudden you go on vacation, you miss three days. And then three days seems really hard to catch up. And you go, how can I possibly catch up? No, I'm just giving up. But then if I give up, I'm such a terrible Christian, I'm not even reading my Bible. And you find yourself in a place of condemnation. You see, it's so subtle. It's so easy to get back into this place where if we're honest, we're saying, I'm doing this to earn God's favor. I'm doing this to earn righteousness. I'm doing this so that I can feel confident that I'm okay when in fact God has said, I've already done it. And I don't want you coming to me because it's what you've got listed on a page that you need to do today. I want you to come to me because you go, I get to talk to God. I get to read his word. And yeah, I missed it yesterday. But man, I had a great day with the kids. And Lord, I'm sorry I missed it. Thank you for being gracious. I shouldn't miss it. I should have made time. But Lord, you're there. You're right there with me. Thank you, Lord, for being here. And now let's get into your word. Show me what you have for me. So you say, okay, okay, well, well, what do I do? And that's our nature, right? What do I do? And I would say the answer is not what, but who. As Paul says in the second half of verse 24, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul, rightly understanding that he is stuck in this pattern of trying harder and failing, asks not of what or how, but who. Who will deliver us? In verse 25, as he always does, he asks the question and he answers it, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The answer, friends, is Jesus. He is the who, he is the what, he is the how, it's Jesus. He says, so then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul recognizes here, there's going to be a tension. 
There is going to be a tension until such time as we are glorified. Whether He calls us home or He comes to get us, it's going to be a challenge in this life. And that's why when we sing songs like we sang this morning, uh, that hope has a name, it's wonderful for us to sing those lyrics that points us to the fact that there is something better yet for us. Too often we find ourselves singing songs or looking for things that are going to give us hope and peace in the now, when in fact God is saying, no, don't get, don't get preoccupied with now, look forward, get excited for what's to come. He says anything that you experience, it's a blessing and a joy here and now. Be thankful for it, but also understand that it's just a mirror. It's, just, it's like looking into a mirror, right? Scripture tells us. Dimly. You can only see a part of it. And, and what's really cool is we experience some pretty awesome things here and now. And so what that tells us is, in effect, you ain't seen nothing yet. There's more for us. And so we must realize certain truths about life this side of heaven. Christian, our marriage to the law has been broken by our death and resurrection in Christ. And this law that we were tied to is good in that it reveals the depth of sin and God's righteous standard, which in and of itself is an act of grace. But here's the thing. When you try to live a life pleasing to God and you do it in your own strength and you work at it in the flesh, then you bring yourself back under the law and you will fail every day time every time when we realize that in us no good thing exists that life in christ is a work of his grace and living that life is something that he does he he does that for us then we begin to truly experience the freedom that he intended so what does this look like as we begin to close what what am i saying do we stop with our bible reading plan everybody just chuck them out Make no effort to keep from sinning. No, that would contradict everything that I shared last week. There is still required of us a willingness to go, yes, I want to walk in victory. I want to say no to sin. But as we make every effort, as we move forward, it must be rooted in knowing more of Him and experiencing more of Him and relying more on Him and depending more on Him and not trying to please Him in our own strength but just simply bringing ourselves before Him and if I might, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing, acceptable to God. This, Christian, is your reasonable service to say, Lord, here's the altar. My life I put upon it. I wouldn't take it if I were you. But... <laughs> Your ways are not my ways. For some reason, you want me. And Lord, I want more of you, and I want to know more of you. And I don't exactly know, Lord, how all this works, how just desiring more of you can accomplish all these other things. But that's what your word tells me, and so, Lord, I want it. Here's my life, Lord. Would you do it? Because I've failed. I screw it up every time, Lord. Would you do it? When we find ourselves saying, Lord, I'm miserable, wretched. There's nothing in me. And I'm not saying, I'm not advocating self-deprecation here, but rather humility. Then this pleases the Lord. What does Jesus himself say in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 3? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, Lord, I have nothing to offer. I just want you. The only thing I can give you is me. But our lives, that living sacrifice, that's what he wants. Some of you here today, you just need reminded of this. 
You're you're aware, you know, like Paul who writes in Colossians 3, that you've been made a new man. You know that you're called to set your affections, your sights, your heart on things above. That that we're called to, to focus on Him and His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added. But you know that sometimes it's just a slight degree off course and you find yourself back in bondage and you know, okay, Lord, I just need to come back. I've been trying too hard in my own flesh and in my own strength. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. But there's some of you here today, I suspect, and maybe watching online, that you still are at a place where you don't really understand what this means. You still truly are convincing yourselves of your own righteousness. That without having surrendered your life truly to Christ, you're convincing yourself, well, I'm a good person. I do this, I do that, I, 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 I work here, I try here, I take care of this, I do this, and, and you're exhausting yourself. And I would appeal to you, stop striving in your flesh to do what the Spirit wants to do for you. Come to that place of surrender and say, Lord, I can't do this. Maybe you are a believer, but you're what Paul calls a carnal Christian and you have just fully gone back into the works of the flesh. Like some of those in the church in Galatia, you've gone back into legalism. And as Paul says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Why have you so quickly turned away from the grace and the truth of the gospel? I would appeal to you, turn back. Let's surrender our lives. Let's come to a place of poverty of spirit when we realize that we have nothing and let Jesus work. Come to a place of dependence on Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we do give You thanks this morning, Lord, once again for Your Word. Your Word which You exalt above Your own name, Lord, we're grateful for it. It is a living and powerful Word, as Scripture says, Lord. It's able to pierce even, Lord, to the division of soul and spirit. And Lord, I pray that's what's taken place here today and would continue as we meditate upon your word, Lord, that you'd remind us of what it is that you desire and that's complete dependence upon you. Giving up any of our own efforts, Lord, any of our own motives and and the work of our flesh and of our own strength and to simply come and pour in in poverty of spirit, Lord, saying, Lord, I have nothing but my life to give, but it's yours. It's yours, Lord, have it, take it. Your way is better, Lord. Your plan is better, your, your, your strength, Lord, your ability, it's all, it's all greater. Lord, I want a life that's rooted in you. Lord, I pray that for any of those here, Lord, who to make that confession this morning. And if that's you, if, you, if, if, if you're at a place of, uh, of, I need to surrender my life to Christ, then just tell him that. Scripture tells us that those who repent of their sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are saved. So do that here this morning. The Holy Spirit has been doing as He's been with you, drawing you unto repentance. Yield to it now and invite Him in. And may we all, each and every one of us, leave this place today in His strength and by His grace, not of our own. Lord, we love You. We praise You. We thank You for doing this work in us and through us, Lord. Lord, continue to, to move and work, we pray. And hear our praises now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week, so make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.